This is Hubwonk. I'm your host, Joe Silvaggi. Welcome to Hubwonk, a podcast of Pioneer Institute, a think tank in Boston. Commonwealth businesses were hit hard by the COVID-19 lockdowns. While many firms were forced to close for good, some survived with the help of aid programs and the ingenuity of the entrepreneurs who adapted as the challenges unfolded. Relief from this ordeal has come in the form of safe and reliable vaccines broadly embraced by a Commonwealth eager to find a path back to normal. But despite the efficacy and broad uptakes of vaccines, many political and business leaders have been reluctant to encourage a return to life as normal. Shuttered offices and mask mandates have left consumers and small businesses with confusion and anxiety, most wondering what it will take for leadership at all levels to finally encourage a return to normal. My guests today are John Hurst, president of the Retailers Association of Massachusetts, and Chris Carlozzi, state director for the National Federation of Independent Businesses. John and Chris represent hundreds of small businesses across the Commonwealth that employ thousands of Massachusetts residents. They are here to share how their firms are faring, what obstacles and challenges remain before those firms can return to business as usual, and what policy prescriptions and signals from political leadership are needed to stave off unnecessary future damage to our workforce, our businesses, and our regional economy. When I return, I'll be joined by John Hurst and Chris Carlozzi. Hubwonk is a production of Pioneer Institute, a Boston-based think tank that seeks to improve the quality of life in Massachusetts and beyond. Pioneer is a 501c3 organization that relies on your support. Please visit pioneerinstitute.org to make a tax-deductible donation today. Okay, we're back. This is Hubwonk. I'm Joe Silvaggi, and I'm now joined by John Hurst of the Retail Association of Massachusetts and Chris Carlozzi of the National Federation of Independent Businesses. Welcome back to Hubwonk, gentlemen. Good to be here. Thanks for the invitation, Joe. Appreciate well, it. Always, always good to be back. Thank you very much. Okay, let's set a level set since we last spoke. And actually, seems like quite a while since we did speak last. We're now living in a world uh, we still have COVID and the, and the Delta variant. Uh, but we also have vaccines that are abundant, free, and nearly perfect in their ability to prevent hospitalizations and death. How have these recent developments changed the fortunes of your members? John, last time you were on, uh, you did a nice job breaking down who is faring well through the pandemic, not so well, um, and who's doing particularly poorly. Break down for our listeners what you have seen as far as uh, who's who's doing better now uh, and who's still in pain. Well, I, I think those that have redefined themselves, reinvented themselves, Joe, and have, uh, you know, met the consumer where they want to be met. You know, the stores, the mom and pop stores that have also gone online, because let's face it, uh, the early winners were the pure play online sellers. Um, and the, those stores that have adopted that, brought it, that into part of their consumer uh, service, uh, you know, they're they're hanging in there uh, because Internet sales have really doubled, frankly, doubled uh, through the pandemic. Uh, that doesn't mean that everybody's doing well. I mean, consumers have come back. You see more traffic in stores and restaurants and venues and so forth. Uh, there still is a, a real profitability issue because as consumer sales have gone up, 
uh, costs have gone up as well, particularly in labor and, and supply chain uh, issues. Mm-hmm. I see. So uh, those those stores who have uh, been able to leverage the uh, impersonal uh, connection selling via the Internet, those have been doing well. Uh, there's some attending costs to that. Um, and those who naturally uh, require uh, in-person uh, sales, they still continue to suffer. Well, you know, it, it, part of the problem, and I'm sure we'll get into this, is, is uh, you know, kind of a moving of the uh, goalposts, so to speak, and, and a lot of questions of, you know, the safety and, and what pe- consumers can do. And, and I, 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 I fault uh, some politics at all levels of, of government here for perhaps uh, uh, confusing the consumers about what is safe and what isn't safe at, at this juncture. I see. And uh, Chris, what are your members telling you about uh, what they're seeing about business either returning to normal or uh, still still struggling um, in this sort of new uh, post-COVID vaccinated uh, climate? Well, you did start to see a, a level of confidence at the beginning when you, you did see the vaccination rate start to go up and more people um, were being vaccinated. And I think you did see that initial you know, group of people going out shopping, dining, and, and then it kind of changed. But I also think, and then I add to what John said, you know, there's a regional approach here too. I mean, you're seeing some parts of the state doing better than others, um, but cities like Boston, where you're not getting the same foot traffic in stores and restaurants, and that's having an impact. So there's a regional approach too, where some of the areas that were very busy before the pandemic, where you had plenty of people going into office buildings, just aren't. So you're seeing some of those coffee shops and restaurants and places that may have not had a lot of business before the pandemic. Now having people work from home, they still need their coffee. They still need to grab that lunch. So they're doing it locally. So there's a little bit of a change there in, in, in some aspects. Um, when we talk to our members, um, you know, one of the biggest concerns, of course, labor issues. That's one of the biggest struggles they face. And we just um, in a recent jobs report showed that about half of our members have positions they can't fill right now. So it's not just the fact that consumers you know, are coming through the door in the way that they used to. It's you can't service the same number of consumers. Uh, say you're a restaurant and, and you just can't seat as many people or bring as much food out uh, the way that you were doing before. Uh, or if you're a store, you don't have as many registers open. So those are some of the challenges our membership is facing right now. And that's nationwide. It's, it's a problem here in Massachusetts, but you're seeing it across the board, across the nation and across industries. That's interesting. Their uh, employers are being squeezed between having too few clients and too few employees. Uh, so that, that, that indeed is a challenge. Before we move forward, let's do a um, look a little bit uh, backward and, and say, okay, we've, we've um, come through 2020 um, uh, quite a bit of, of support has been given to uh, small businesses in the form of um, uh, pay, paycheck protection programs. Uh, looking back now, uh, if we can say uh, uh, to 2020 and in, in the heart of the pandemic, do you think there was enough um, support for small businesses or as much as could be expected from uh, federal and state uh, uh, programs? Well, I'll take a step at that first, Joe. I, I, I think the PPP was a lifesaver for a lot of small businesses. Uh, the state as well, you know, Governor, Governor Baker uh, implemented a, a terrific grant program uh, just at the beginning of this year, which also was was very successful. But but look, um, all that would have been great had you know had everything gone back to normal 
you know, the summer and on into the fall and, and you know, particularly the all important fourth quarter. All those those uh, grant programs, all those those uh, government supports, you know, have dried up. Uh, and at the same time, as some of the messaging continues, whether it's from the federal government, increasingly from local government with mask mandates and 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 uh uh, vaccination requirements and 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 so forth uh, to go into certain locations, um, you know that is we, we got to keep in mind that whenever government is sending signals like that to the consumer, and again the consumer is seventy percent of the economy, questioning whether it is safe to go out and shop and dine or even return back to the office, um, there needs to be some compensation back from government sending those those messages because you have to understand you are really reducing the sales uh, of those small businesses. You're reducing the, the traffic that's going into the front doors at the same time as their, as their costs are going up, complying with some of these regulations that are, are rolling out. So I think, you know, we got to revisit this. I, I think I, I particularly see some of these local, it is a local election year, right? I, I'm seeing a lot of local mask mandates and so forth. I need to see some of these local politicians stepping up and supporting these small businesses with more than just rhetoric that we support small businesses, um, whether it's be uh, help on their commercial property taxes or some sort of grant program, because, you know, they are they are by implication stopping some of the traffic and some of the spending in these these local stores and, and shops. Um, they need to recognize that and help their bottom lines if they want these small businesses to survive. So, so they need to put their money where their mask mandate is. Uh, I, I've just made that up. Yeah, so. yeah. Right. Um, all right, uh, Chris, do you want to comment on what, what John just said? I'd say there's still a very fragile small business economy, and the slightest thing can impact it. Uh, I would say the PPP loans did a lot to help keep those businesses from folding uh, by keeping the lights on, by making sure rent was paid. And, of course, the, the big portion of PPP funding went to make sure that employees were being paid, that people were being, uh, you know, continuing to be attached to the workforce. But you still saw a lot of layoffs and a lot of businesses that had no revenue coming in. Many had their doors closed or their operations restricted to a very high level. They couldn't have consumers come through the door in many cases. They couldn't go out and perform a service. In those instances, uh, a business had no money coming in. So while they were kind of treading water, keeping people, you know, attached to the workforce, uh, keeping the lights on and, and paying the rent, they had no additional money coming in. Those businesses were still very much concerned with whether or not they would be in operation a few months down the road. Um, so those loans, those grants were helpful, uh, but but you know businesses need revenue and businesses need people coming through. And, and to add to that, there were still a lot of businesses that had to lay off employees. If you were a restaurant and you couldn't seat diners and have people come into your restaurant because indoor dining was closed, you had to lay people off. And that was the bottom line. There were a lot of pandemic related layoffs. Massachusetts had the highest unemployment rate in the nation at one point last summer, over 17%. And now businesses are still dealing with the ramifications of that. So I'd go a, a little further and say that state officials need to be helping out here. And I something you know John and I have been working on as well as a lot of other business groups throughout the state of Massachusetts is on, on UI taxes. And a, a lot of businesses got a rude awakening last March when they saw huge UI tax bills, uh, when they went and looked in, at, at what their uh, their tax, uh, what taxes were due for UI, and, and it was shocking. And it was it, it dealt with by legislators. And, and this is a, 
audio podcast, so you can't see the air quotes, but <laughs> it wasn't dealt with. And it was kicked down the road for almost 20 years with businesses paying back a $7 billion UI trust fund deficit, $7 billion plus, actually, when you look at interest. So that's another issue on the state level that something uh, state officials, they need to be putting in and using some of the opera and federal money over 30 states have done so. And this is going to be a big focus for a lot of the business groups going forward. Will the state help with things like UI taxes? And, and on top of that, making sure there are no additional labor mandates that are going to uh, further cripple small businesses. I agree with all that, uh, Chris, 100 uh, percent, particularly on the UI. And one other thing to, to point out about the one, Joe, the, the downside of the PPP. And if there's going to be any more grant programs, something that needs to be fixed is that there, that was kind of a buckshot uh, type of program that went to everybody, virtually any small business, right? Uh, even small businesses, law firms or PR firms that were frankly doing just fine working out of their homes, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it really didn't have a reduction in sales. If there's going to be more government programs, grant programs, we need to really focus that money and that effort on, on consumer serving small businesses, those that, you know, the consumers aren't there. The consumers aren't there because of government restrictions and government messaging uh, questioning whether the consumer should be going out and spending the dollars in those locations. Yeah, those, those very specific grants, like like John just mentioned, like the restaurant revitalization fund, uh, the the live venue grants that were provided by or offered by the federal government, uh, th- those filled up very quickly, and those application processes closed, and and they paid out large amounts of money to businesses, but there were still a lot of those affected businesses left out. So exactly, there should be more targeted approaches for some of the industries hit hardest um, by the pandemic. I want to talk about the um, targeting. Uh, As you say, there's uneven pain in in this uh, system. I happen to live in Back Bay, and it's, it's an interesting phenomenon here in Boston. Uh, if I go one way out my front door, uh, I go into Back Bay, and, it, and the restaurants are full, the, the streets are jammed. I go the other way to downtown, and it looks like uh, life after the bomb. It's, it's, it's a stark contrast. I feel bad for the, the restaurants that are downtown, and it seems uh, in Back Bay they're doing better than ever. How would a government program understand what, you know, where um, uh, to allocate the money? Can you, before you answer that, just generally say, where are the trends? I, I pointed out uh, office areas seem to be hurting and, and you know, recreation areas are, are doing well. Can you generalize? Is it a, a shift from urban to suburban? Is it um, uh, how, how have the numbers broken down? Who, where is the money going and where did it leave? The consumers, the, the consumers are spending where they live. Uh, you know, they aren't commuting and, and that's hurting. You know, I commute, I, I've been, I never stopped coming into Boston, um, at least once or twice a week. And I, I, I think, you know, frankly, Joe, there's been a lack of leadership, both from government, but also from our big businesses of following the science and recognizing that it, once you're vaccinated, you know, we need to try to get back to some level of normalcy and, and at least partially get back into these offices. I give the CEO of Blue Cross Blue Shield of Massachusetts uh, a lot of credit who recently came out with a an op-ed in the BPJ uh, telling that they're going to start getting back into the offices uh, October 1. And we need to see more of that. Uh, you know, a lot of these big businesses that, frankly, were not hurt much by the pandemic. They, you know, insurers kept on getting premiums to them. Uh, you know, a lot of law firms and PR firms just worked just fine and, 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 and had their income coming in just fine out of, you know, 
as a coming into home as opposed to working in big office towers throughout the the uh, uh, the city. Uh, they need to give back and recognize that, you know, whether it's the local store, the coffee shop, the restaurant, the dry cleaner, the cobbler, the taxi cab driver, that are the tea, you know, which was survived so much uh, on on fares. All all these portions of the economy are being let down by the fact that you know we're not really recognizing that once we are vaccinated. You know, if we believe the science, we should be able to get back to some level of normalcy and at the same time, really bring back these important sectors of our economy. I think I'm going to be uh, regretting the words as they come out of my mouth. But I'd also add, you know, some of the government buildings. Uh, I haven't set foot in the statehouse since since March before the pandemic because we no have question. not been allowed back in there. Um, so, you know, places like that, I, I started to become a little more enthusiastic. Our office is on Beacon Hill and 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 you started to see more people during the summer and then you realized you started hearing accents and it seemed to be a lot of people who were vacationing here what seemed to be from the south you heard a lot of southern accents so people were dining people were shopping but people were also leaving at the end of a week and now i started to see you know on the train ride in in the morning you started to see that hopefulness as well because the train was a little more crowded and then i started to look around and realized they were mostly students going back to school so I don't think it is that workforce back at, at the higher levels, but it you did start to see a trickle of both tourists and now students back back in the city. But I don't think that's going to sustain most of these businesses. It does seem ironic that um, restaurants full of anonymous strangers uh, are full and offices full of uh, your, your, the same coworkers you've always had uh, uh, are empty. Uh, one seems like it's, uh, one's willing to risk whatever the risk might be for dinner, but not for one's career. Um, and uh, you know, and what is causing that, Joe? Is that is that frankly, have we all gotten a little bit lazy, or you know, not wanting to get back to a normalcy and and not, and not recognizing, you know, how important normalcy is for. Uh, sustaining so many of these these countless small businesses. I mean, you know, you, there's a lot of rhetoric out there through, from politicians and also big business and so forth about how everybody supports small business. Well, you know, you have to, you know, actions speak louder than words. We need to see some leadership in order to make sure these small businesses, you know, survive into through the important fourth quarter of 2021. And Otherwise, we're going to see a whole nother wave of small businesses close first quarter 2022. And going back to some of the things I brought up at the beginning regarding our membership having a very difficult time hiring right now, you know, a lot of that had to deal with the fact that the state was allowing people to stay on unemployment, not have to search for work. That was a struggle for our members. They were trying when they were reopening to bring workers back to meet customer needs. When you did see that influx of customers coming back through doors when when restrictions were lifted, but there weren't enough people. And I I, I do think that a lot of the federal supplemental benefits played into that and are very generous unemployment benefits in the state. So, um, you know, you have workers who aren't returning to the workforce. And there were a lot of reasons. Uh, It wasn't just things like the supplemental benefit. There were child care issues. There were. But now you have a lot of kids back in school and, and there are less reasons to be staying home. So we need to be getting people in Massachusetts back into the workforce, back into these businesses, back into the cities and, and get that return to normalcy somewhat to, to get the economy back going and, and really get this recovery going. So I think you uh, point to very uh, important issues about the push and pull of people coming back to work. Uh, you can't pay them to stay home and then expect them to uh, 
um, lineup uh, to come back to the office. Uh, but also coming back to the offices, um, we've got a lot of uh, controversy about either mask mandates or vaccine mandates. Uh, I don't want to have a conversation about whether um, a federal mandate is wise, but at the state level uh, or at the uh, individual company level, I think I read uh, yesterday Raytheon just mandated its, its employees must be vaccinated. Uh, what is your view? Is that helpful to our conversation? Does that drive people into the office knowing their fellow workers are now vaccinated? Or would they say, you know, take this job and, and do what you will with it. I, I won't get a vaccine and, and therefore further um, aggravate uh, what's already a difficult situation? Joe, it's a huge can of worms. I can understand a Raytheon. I mean, they're a government contract. They're, uh, um, they're, they're going to have to go uh, that route. Um, as are a whole lot of other folks in healthcare and the like. But, um, you know, look, I, small businesses are concerned. Um, you know, you know, I, in retail, I see, you know, large, big retailers certainly have, had gone that route for corporate headquarters. But it's a different story of part-timers, um, you know, and, and hourly workers out there, you know, serving the consumer. And, and uh, you know, I, you, you implement rules, uh you know, that you have to be vaccinated or you do the masks. And, and you know, all of that really seemed to be uh, the proper th proper way and everyone was comfortable with it. But we, we keep on, again, moving the, the goalposts a little bit. I don't know what the, the right thing is, uh, Joe. I, I, I will say there's, you know, so many questions out there. It, it's hard to make sure you're uh, those that are, are really short on labor you know, can can make sure that they have more employees coming in and, and aren't forced to quit because, you know, maybe they, you know, and I have a sister or I'm a, a, a sister-in-law who is a nurse uh, who had COVID and, and she, uh, you know, swears up and down. She's got the natural immunity and doesn't want to get uh, the, the shot, at least not yet. And I, it's hard to argue against that. I mean, people sure. have their reasons and and it's hard for particularly a small business to to put up some sort of a, a requirement for certainly for their employees, but even harder for their customers and, and expect those customers to keep coming back to your front door. I think you've seen a lot of our members, you know, continuing to follow guidance, follow guidelines, follow everything that's been put in place through this entire, I mean, they want to make sure their customers are safe and they want to make sure their employees are safe. No business uh, that I've ever talked to wants to see their name uh, uh, on some you know front page story where there's a problem or a, so they're taking every step imaginable to keep workers and keep customers safe in the best ways they can you know do without you know infringing upon uh, the, the mindsets of their their customers and consumers so they're trying not to overstep their ground it, it is a very you know odd tightrope walk for a lot of these businesses it's a situation they've never really had to be put in before so you know, at the end of the day, you, you know, businesses are trying to do everything possible to get it back to a sense of normalcy. They want to see people coming back in, shopping, dining, you know, utilizing services. Um, it, it, it's hard to do. You, you see a lot of communities do things differently. And I think that's another part of the problem where you have some local officials who go too far. And we've seen it all through the pandemic where, you know, some local official would just crack down on a business that went far beyond what the actual regulation or rule called for. And I think that makes it more difficult from a competitive standpoint for these businesses. Um, so it, it's strange because you do have things. There was a bill that came up this week on, on liability. You saw, I think, over 30 states across the nation 
uh, do something on liability protections to make sure those responsible businesses who are taking all the steps for safety um, were protected in the case of a lawsuit. We never did that here in Massachusetts. No. We, were, we were one of the states that, that did that. Actually, there was bills filed in Massachusetts to do the opposite, make a presumption of COVID if a worker or, or someone got sick. So, And Chris, isn't it a little bit ironic that you can't sue the vaccine manufacturer nor can you, under the, the law, state and federal law, and you can't sue those that put the syringe in your arm under state and federal law. But now we're having, you know, discussions and movement towards vaccination requirements upon the employer. Why can't the employer have similar protections, you know, from the trial bar and class action suits that we've already granted to the healthcare industry and the vaccine manufacturers? I, I, I think it's an important discussion that we need to have going forward. And I, I, I don't see those two bills that were uh, heard this week going anywhere, unfortunately. So this may be a topic for a future uh, 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 podcast uh, topic. Um, so I want to move on. Uh, we talked about vaccines. What, what are your members' views on mass, mass mandates, regional mass mandates? Our, our governor has decided not to make a state level. Um, but again, we've, we've uh, accepted uh, the reliability and the effectiveness of the vaccines. I think we have a one in 160,000 chance of winding up in a hospital after we're doubly vaccinated. Uh, so masks, by my reckoning, seem like a bit bit of a belt and suspenders, kind of an unnecessary step. But what are your members seeing? Does it help to mandate uh, your employees and your, your patrons uh, have masks? Does it drive business away? Um, in my I, judgment, it, Joe, I, I think it, it, and hearing from small businesses in Salem and some of the other locations that, you know, these have been imposed on. Yes, it drives customers away uh, because, you know, frankly, they are feel they are vaccinated and they feel like, well, they told us we were going to be safe. I feel safe. I don't want do not want to go walk around and with a and, and sit and dine and shop and with a mask. Uh, you know, you are penalizing me, even though I did the right thing and protected myself. I am protected. I've, I'm protecting those that are around me as well. So it, 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 it is really conflicting messaging. You know, yes, you have to get vaccinated, but yes, we, you have to still mask up. I, it, it's that conflicting, constant messaging, one message from federal government, another message from, from local boards of health, that's what is confusing the consumer and, frankly, keeping them away from shopping and, and buying on Main Street as opposed to on the on Internet sites. And I think the governor answered the question very well and keeps stating it, that we're a highly vaccinated state, that we have a very low hospitalization rate. The governor keeps citing these statistics when people ask him about things like a statewide mask mandate coming back. You know, you even see some legislators in their Twitter feeds and, and social media accounts calling for rollbacks and more restrictions. And you hear people start to referencing, you're, you're, you're sending this message out to consumers, to businesses, to all the people who have spent a, a year and a half doing all the right things, taking all the right steps, making the sacrifices, uh, taking the hits if you're a small business who saw major dips in revenue. Um, and, and now you're saying, you know, everything you did to head in the right direction, we got to start rolling back and, and re-implementing some of these these things that we had that we were told would go away. I, I, I do think it plays into the overall environment. And I also think in a state like Massachusetts, which is doing far better than a lot of other states across the nation, uh, because we took the right steps and, and headed it the right direction in the right way at the right time, um, you know, now to, to start stepping backwards would be a, a major uh, problem for a lot of these businesses. And I think 
you know, those that clung on and held on and were able to uh, make it this far, you will start to see more problems. And I think, you you know, they're not going to have that support system. We talked about a lot of the, the, the grants and aid money all drying up at this point. It's not going to be there for them if this happens again, because the state decides to roll back or some of these communities go beyond where the state is and start to roll back or, or re-implement restrictions. And let's face it, Joe, I, I mean, what I keep hearing from a lot of my local businesses where some of these mask mandates have popped up is, you know what, it's an election year, uh, local elections, and and they can't help but feel like somehow this is this is connected to politics. And and, you know, if, if you know, let's let's cut through the politics and and and, you know, divisive type of messaging here and really stick to the real science. If you are vaccinated, you're supposed to be protected. Now, let's, you know, allow the vaccinated to get out there and live their lives and get back to work, get back to shopping and, and, and get back to dining and, and traveling. I think you bring up an interesting point. Um, we recently had a preliminary election here in Boston and uh, in lots of local towns. And uh, I think mass mandates may have had an impact on, on the results. Uh, what are your members telling you? Um, are they essentially uh, looking at uh, candidates and their position on masks and, and I guess, restrictions uh, and getting engaged? Is this a measure or a lens through which they'll decide which candidates they support? Uh, what, what is your view on the impact of this sort of perpetual masking will have on uh, an election coming up in November? I'd go beyond masking. I would say just the pandemic response in general will play a part into the election, whether it's this year or, or next year's election with state representatives. I mean, our members have been watching very closely as to where elected officials or what elected officials have done on some of the things regarding reopening and, and some of the comments made. I mean, some of the comments that legislators and elected officials make really have an impact. They resonate. And when they're calling for more restrictions and rollbacks and businesses in their, their districts have gone through the ringer, they will remember that at election time. John. Right. And, and I, I, I'll, I'll just add to that, Joe. Look, we tell our members continually, and we certainly have this fall, uh, judge these elected officials, not by their rhetoric on uh, supporting small businesses, but judge them on their actions and hold them accountable for how they are, they are either supporting your bottom line and your sales or hurting your bottom line and your sales. I even remember at times during debates on issues like making sure the PPP loans weren't taxed, where some are in debate saying, well, some small businesses are making money, making revenue, making money off these PPP loans. It was absolutely disgusting to hear. And, and that will be you know, one of the things we do as an organization. We do a small business uh, report card where we take some of these issues and grade and, and rank legislators on it. And that goes right out before election time so that that. Like John said, they can see where, where they put their votes and put their money where their mouth was when it came to actually saying, well, we support small business. Well, here we have a vote right here and you can look at it on some of these key issues. So it, it, it is going to play a, a large part, I think, in next year's election to make sure that, that these elected officials are actually trying, striving to help these employers that were just struggling so much over the last year and a half. Now, you just mentioned, um, Paul, we, earlier in our show, we, we talked about uh, unemployment insurance. Uh, you both are on the Unemployment Insurance Trust Fund Commission, um, and we want to talk about tangible legislation that can meaningfully help uh, uh, business owners and small businesses around the, around the state and around the Commonwealth. 
Um, what specifically would you like to see done there? Uh, and for our listeners, uh, what needs to happen uh, with unemployment insurance? You touched on it briefly earlier. Uh, what would you like to see in the next uh, cycle? Great, great question, Joe. Look, I, I, unfortunately, there are certain special interest groups that their their answer for the trust fund problem is just to raise taxes. And, and look, we already have a $7 billion with a B, the largest tax increase ever in Massachusetts, all on the, the shoulders of employers for layoffs that this, this, this recession is different than any recession we've ever had. These layoffs were not the decisions of the employers. They were decisions of government. And, you know, not only do we have to cover some of those funds with ARPA money and, and, and taxpayer money uh, to, in order to prevent, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, job loss and, 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 and wage uh, stagnation in the future over the next 20 years. But we've got to do something to, to rectify the, the fact that, Joe, not only do we have the most generous UI system in the entire country, by far the most generous, but we also have the lowest, easiest standards for qualifications. It's one thing to be the most generous. It's, it's, it's something else to also make the, the bar for qualifying for those, those benefits easier than virtually any other state in the entire country. We've got to do something particularly on qualifications. Yeah, I, I would start with saying, you know, using that federal money, 30 plus other states have used either ARPA or CARES Act money to replenish trust funds. And they're in, in those states, I'll add, we're in nowhere near as bad a shape as Massachusetts is. Having employers solely responsible for replenishing that seven plus billion dollar deficit is just you know, reprehensible. It, it's hard to think, you know, that businesses, they, they, they did nothing to lead to this. They didn't, it wasn't bad business plans. It wasn't um, not being prepared. It wasn't anything short of the fact that the government was telling you you had to close your doors or restrict your operation. They need to do that. The governor Baker has already put $1 billion in a supplemental budget to help with that. Um, Hopefully that moves, but we would also want to see some of that ARPA money go in. Some of that money, $5.3 billion is sitting there to be used, and it should be used for this. This is, Right now, employers are struggling to fill positions, but there's going to be a point where we want to grow and expand and start creating new jobs. And that's not going to happen if we're saddled with, with uh, some of the highest unemployment insurance taxes in the nation. We're already ranked the worst in the nation for several years in a row by the, the National Tax Foundation. When it comes to UI, we sit on this commission and we hear, I mean, I hear anecdotal stories from my members all the time. I had someone call the other day to say that she had employees who were qualifying for unemployment because they were having fainting spells, to which I said, didn't we just pass a family medical leave law to start addressing issues like that? Why are they qualifying for unemployment uh, for something like that? And this is a business that had 150 employees before the pandemic and now is down to about 100 because she just can't get people back to work. So it's a huge problem, and and we are overly generous in our benefits. We are very lax in our eligibility, and it needs to be addressed. So this is a fundamental reform issue with UI. It's not merely getting over the hump of of uh, the pandemic, but uh, reforming in a way that can be sustainable. To use a a friendly word. No, um, no question about that, Joe. And and one final word on that. Uh, just by U.S. Department of Labor uh, numbers across the country. Our seven billion dollar problem, um, it could be as high as three billion of that could be overpayments and fraud 
un- uncollectible fraud that that occurred. That was a pandemic, and within the pandemic, uh, just fraud that was going in, and un- and 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 overpayments. And and there's no way employers should be saddled with with the, that number. Indeed. But moving beyond unemployment insurance issue questions, uh, many of our listeners are legislators or uh, connected to legislators. Uh, If your members uh, had the opportunity to communicate directly with legislators, what do you think they would like their legislators to know about what they're going through right now? I I, I do think we need a do no harm mentality going forward. There are some of the bills that are filed this year in the midst of a, a recovery uh, from a major worldwide pandemic where businesses struggled and suffered and had their doors closed are the same bills that were filed before, the same bills that we, you know, John and I are up there testifying or virtually testifying on uh, regarding scheduling, bill, bills like scheduling mandates where you have to have a schedule up a certain amount of days in advance or else you're paying predictability pay to your workers. Um, I don't know about you, but nothing is predictable right now. It wasn't before the pandemic in a state like New England where you had weather-related issues, uh, and it certainly is not now. So some of these bills that are new labor mandates, some of the health care bills, um, you know, some of the tax bills are just, you really want to put the nail in the coffin for a lot of these businesses that are wondering if they can keep their doors open or not. If some of these pass, it's going to be a massive problem for them. It's it's hard enough surviving under these conditions, but to start piling on some of these mandates and taxes and, and some of these proposals that are out there would, would just absolutely destroy small businesses. And I would, I, I guess I would be on the UI, Joe, I, I would put a, a huge emphasis on healthcare. And, and look, healthcare is a problem for consumers, big business, small business, taxpayers. But it's particularly at the bottom of the totem pole are small businesses. The pie has been growing far faster than than the economy. Um, you know, pressure from you know we we frankly have empowered the big providers to to uh, you know demand more and more and more money, and we keep uh, you know some public public policy changes. You know, ironically, don't protect the taxpayer and the consumer. It protects the providers. We need to do something to slow the growth of that pie. But most importantly, we have to figure out how that pie is cut up and distributed. Small businesses pay far more than their fair share for premiums uh, than do individuals or do big business or big government. That is fact. They are second class citizens, second class consumers under Massachusetts law and under the marketplace. And there's no more important issue. I know Charlie Baker gets at this because he was in that world for so many years. And it's unfinished business that, uh, you know, hopefully we can get at uh, in the coming year. Indeed, great, great remarks. Uh, the small businesses don't have much market power in the health health uh, insurance and healthcare community. So uh, it's a topic we address often on, on Hubwonk. Uh, we're getting close to the end of our show. I want to, uh, we're, we're a podcast that has listeners that uh, like to uh, get engaged. What would our listeners, uh, what should our listeners do if they want to help your cause, help the cause of businesses across the Commonwealth? Um, uh, should they be writing their legislators or how can they get engaged and, and help, uh, um, frankly, preserve their own jobs, their own communities, their own, uh, the health of their own economy? I'll probably get a, a nasty letter for this, but I'd say start your Christmas shopping now. Um, start shopping, you know, doing some of the things that you would do later on. I, our members are facing supply chain issues. Uh, they are facing product shortages. 
get out there, shop, get out there, dine, get, you know, be safe in the process. But, you know, we are better off than a lot of other states across this nation in Massachusetts. We took the right steps. We moved in the right direction. Uh, but but shop, dine, participate in the economy, uh, do some of the events. And, 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 you know, you are hearing things, more venues being rented, weddings coming back. That's important. We want to get back to that sense of normalcy. And it, it, it relies on the consumer and I guess the worker. I mean, being out there, going back to the office and, and you know, I try to be in the office as much as I can. I'm, I'm in here now and, and I grabbed coffee, I'll grab lunch. It's, it's all about getting back out there and doing some of the things we did before the pandemic. No, well said, Chris. I, 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 uh, I agree. Look, we always tell consumers, there are 70% of the economy. You have to shop like jobs depend on it because they do. Uh, that's first and foremost, particularly going into the holiday season and the all important fourth quarter. But also hold your elected officials, you know, um, you know, hold them accountable for, you know, do they really they, they all say they're for and support small businesses. But make sure you hold them accountable with their actions, because actions mean a lot more than rhetoric. And and. You know, let's let's uh, all work a little bit better to make sure that they understand that. Okay, well, that's those are great final remarks. I didn't expect this to be our Christmas episode, but uh, it is uh, become (laughs) good advice. Get get your shopping done early uh, and and buy a lot. Uh, Thank you, guys. Uh, This was an interesting show. uh, And I think you the the sentiment and the and the and the suffering, if you will, of your of your members uh, comes through loud and clear. Uh, I think we're going to get back on track, but uh, it's it's with the help of you two and your organizations that's going to get us there. Thank you very much for joining Hubwonk. Thank you, Joe. Thanks, Joe. This has been another episode of Hubwonk, a podcast of Pioneer Institute, a think tank in Boston. If you enjoyed today's episode, there are several ways to support us. It would be easier for you and better for us if you subscribe to Hubwonk on your iTunes podcatcher. If you want to help others find Hubwonk, it will be useful for you to offer a five-star rating or a favorable review. It's always appreciated if you share Hubwonk with friends. If you have ideas or comments or suggestions for me about topics for future episodes, you can reach me at hubwonk at pioneerinstitute.org. Please join me next week for a new episode of Hubwonk. Thank you.